Welcome to the RepChat Inside Stories series, conversations with creative talent and creative entrepreneurial businesses. We discover the inside stories that inspire and motivate creative people to do what they do. Welcome. This is Boris Brigmore for the RepChat Inside Stories series. And it's my great pleasure to introduce Johnny, a jewelry maker living in LA, and their brand, Heebie Jewelry. This is their story. Johnny, great to have you with us. And a special guest is incredibly cute squirrels that you happen to have with you. Special guest pedal. Pedal, yeah. And it's hiding away under your arm. Lovely. <laughs> So I didn't expect to be getting two of you to, to interview today, but that's fact. So Johnny, it'd be great to hear a little bit about you and your story. How did you get to do what you do? Just through like a weird series of circumstances, like anything. I went to art school thinking I was going to be an art teacher because that was the only art career I could like think of when I was you know a kid. And then once I got there, day one of art education, I was like, oh no, this is wrong and freaked out. And then... Uh, just happened to be working with someone at the time that was in the crafts program. I'd never made anything really with my hands in that way. It was just kind of like, I don't know what else I want to do. So majored in crafts, thought I was going to do glass blowing. And then my school defunded the glass department a lot. They got rid of the neon and uh, the flame work. So then I kind of moved more into, into metals and just fell in love with it. That's a lie. I didn't fall in love with it at first. I hated it at first. It's like a lot of people think about it in a meticulous way. And it's a lot of like measuring and it seems very uptight. I feel like I just like learned how to work with it in an organic way. I'm just not a technical person really. But now that I know the material, I can like work with it loosely. And I love it. Uh, fantastic. Super. Where did that passion for creating bespoke uh, jewelry begin? When I was a kid, it was a thing in my family every year when we would go over to my grandparents' house for the holidays. My grandpa, he's this very, very cute old man. He would like go into the back room and bring out this little tin of his mom's jewelry. And I had never met her or anything, but every year we would look at this tin full of her jewelry and it's just someone's jewelry box is such an intimate thing. And it was so cool to learn about this person through their jewelry. She went through all these different religions later in life and some like weird culty things and stuff. But like there's just rings for all the different things that she was into over time. And that was just always really cool to see. And I think that kind of instilled the weight and power of jewelry for me and until later on i don't think i understood the real magic of it a jewelry just like holds so much weight for somebody and getting to make a thing and hand it to a person that you feel the weight of it when you make it when you hand it to somebody and it's their ring you can see the connection and you can see the power in it can't get enough that it's like a drug fantastic so actually it's the emotional connection with the person and the impact that it has on them 
as well as your love that you put into it. Totally. Yeah. It feels like a level of <laughs> magic or like sorcery. There's something so deeply human about needing to adorn. Jewelry is the oldest art form we have. We found like beads and things that are older than cave paintings. Before anything else, we were just these hairy little apes trying to put things on our bodies because something in us needs that. And I think it's just really beautiful and powerful to me. Oh, wow. That's so cool. That's such a history to it. I saw that you walk the streets of LA and are influenced by what you see out there. I'm wondering what cool stuff have you found and what other influences are there for your work? LA's just really full of people being like very fully themselves, walking around crazy people everywhere. But I love walking around and just seeing people like being themselves. And like, because people are just so themselves, there's just art everywhere. It's also like a really gross city. And like, even in like the way that garbage and things are left around, everything feels very intentional and strange to me in, in a way. And I think that evidence of humanity everywhere is really inspiring. And also it's a very, very kitschy city. And I'm obsessed with kitsch and it's a weird place and I like delving into the weirdness. How did you describe your work again? It was you said it was totems of gay punk trash, I think was what you called. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds like a thing I'd say. <laughs> I hang out with like a bunch of queers and punks. There's just a very DIY thing that like comes from those subcultures because we're all inherently very poor and but also like really creative. So like everybody like knows how to make. It feels like a more authentic way of making than people that are, oh yeah, I have a $5,000 studio and then you just need this tool and this tool and this tool and then you can do this or whatever. I feel like queer and punk communities, it's kind of like, Oh, I'd like that thing. All right. I have $3. How do I do it? I have $3 and 20 friends and everybody just like dance together and can do it. And there's just something grittiness and like an authenticity in that, that I really respond to. Johnny, can you tell me, uh, describe a little bit about how you make your pieces and how long it takes, that sort of thing? It depends on the piece, but most things I carve out of wax. And so if I'm doing a custom piece for somebody, We'll chat about it for a while and then I'll draw up a few designs and see what they respond to from there. And then you have to build up trust with the person. Like they have to see the designs and know that you have base level understanding. And then once you feel each other out a little bit, then maybe like a few more designs together, you make this thing. Or if I'm making things for Kibijibis, my company, yeah, that's mostly just carved things. And my QP rings are, uh, I carve and I have a mold for it. And then I get the mold of basically just like like the regular little baby face. And then from there, I, I carve it and I alter it and make them all like unique little things. And then I cast them after that. And then it's just like a bunch of little tiny detail. It's just me sitting at a bench and not talking to anybody for like a few days. <laughs> Super. So it's a couple of days worth uh, for the sort of smaller rings? It depends on the thing. Like an engagement ring can be 40 hours of work or something. More like production piece made a few of those can just take like a couple hours. It all depends on the thing. Also, I, I think you can feel it in a piece when it's forced, when the person like works and they weren't feeling it. I try really hard. If I like sit down at the bench and I only feel it for like two hours that day on that piece, I'm only going to work on that piece for two hours that day. And then I'll put it aside, work on something else. Maybe I pick it up and I just zone in for the day. And that's just what I feel like I need to do. I try to work really intuitively because I, I think that's important with metals. 
Yeah. So I get that it's so it's really intuitive and you are just going where your creativity is taking you that day almost, uh, which feels much more authentic. Yeah. I think you get like a more powerful piece that way. Yeah. And um, what kind of clients uh, or person are drawn to where you work? I've had like a lot of different people. The people that I'm aiming for are kind of, I think there's this whole area of people that adornment and covered in tattoos or think about their presentation in like certain ways that just isn't really catered to in the mainstream. They wouldn't wear something from Knees or whatever. I don't want to make anything that feels like you're going to buy it at K Jewelers or it feels like there's a million of or something. I don't like to make dainty things. I cater to a person very specific. I try and cater to people that I feel like don't get catered to very often. I think people that would wear biker jewelry is kind of my vibe, but gay biker jewelry, I guess. I think there's low-key a big market for that. The big early punk dudes that are into like big chunky biker rings, I've seen them see my shit and know that it's better than a lot of a lot of the options that they're usually given because a lot of people that like jewelers and people in the industry just kind of like completely overlook them. People see us with tattoos and just kind of like assume we're like scumbags or don't have money and but throw down on a ring and it'll be like our ring. Yeah, the weight to that ring, like uh, financial and emotional. And, and you've done some commissions for wedding rings. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, those are so fun because, you know, you're making a thing that somebody's going to wear forever. Yeah, like over the summer, I got to make my mom's engagement ring. And that was such a beautiful experience. Also, her husband's wedding bands and stuff. I also got to officiate their wedding, which was a whole thing. It was so cute. <laughs> it was really, I was like in Elvis drag too. <laughs> you got to have Elvis at a wedding. <laughs> I think there's something like so beautiful about like getting to build that with somebody. Because I was married in my early 20s. He got it at like a mall. And knowing that I was into jewelry and I, it was fine. It was what it was, you know. But we got engaged when I was 19. And then like two years later, he he tried to buy me like a better ring before we actually got married. And it was just the same thing, but with bigger stones. And I just remember looking in and being devastated because people think they care about it. It's the size of the stone. I held the ring and it felt like nothing, you know? I want to make something special for somebody. And if, you, if you're going to get married, know the person enough, love the person enough to want to make them something special and something that makes them feel seen every time they look at it. I think that's important and beautiful. Yeah, fantastic. How about what you're most proud of? Is it your mom's engagement ring? What are you most proud of? That's hard. Top three. Top three. Okay. Mom's engagement ring was huge. Yeah, that was amazing. She loves it so much. And it like, it looks like her. That's when I really know I nailed a piece of it's an engagement ring or something. I look at it and it feels like a thing that I made, but it looks like the person. Like I've put myself in it, but I haven't put my aesthetic in it there first. And now when I like look at it and I'm like, yeah, that's that's hers. That belongs on her finger. I just made these. I'm obsessed with breakfast cereal, <laughs> like Loki. <laughs> Do you know the monster cereals that come out every Halloween, like Booberry, Frankenberry, Count Chocula? So I just made three Cupid rings that are Booberry, Frankenberry, Count Chocula. They bring me so much joy. <laughs> so cute. What's a Cupid ring? Just explain for the people who may not know. Totally. Cupid dolls are illustration that was started by a uh, name's Rosie O'Neill in the 1920s. 
She was suffragette, highest paid woman illustrator or artist, I think, in the 1920s. Cupies took off. They were like opted into toys and things. They're still huge in Japan. They're like big, like vintage tattoo motif and stuff. They're just like little, little baby doll faces. They start out just as the plain babies, and then I alter them through there. Like, my little guy has an eye patch. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so you were showing me your ring there. So it's a ring with a baby's face, and you you then modified it to have an eye patch. And uh, and you've also got a squirrel. Yes, <laughs> you've got a squirrel with you. How come you have a squirrel? <laughs> so last Tuesday, I'm walking through the park, and the squirrel was on the ground, breathing really heavy, and didn't look like it was doing too good. And I was like, hey, buddy, what's going on? Like, bent down, there wasn't any other squirrels around, crawled right into my hand. And I sat with them for a while, and I took them home. I tried to contact animal control. They told me, yeah, I mean, we can get it, but we'll euthanize it. No. <laughs> so I kept it and tried to contact some squirrel rescues, but nobody's gotten back to me. So now here I am talking to a zookeeper and a vet on Instagram and bottle feeding a squirrel until they can go back into the wild. Oh, you squirrel saver. Fantastic. <laughs> and so what about challenges in terms of your work what are some of the challenges you faced building up to this point has been really challenging the past year has been really nice for me to finally have like free time and space to like create but I've never had that before all through school I had to work and then like as soon as I graduated I was working five jobs at one point in Virginia because Minimum wage was seven twenty-five an hour, and you couldn't get a job making over ten dollars. After that, I moved with my husband and was making no money, working at a wood shop, and then got a job at making production jewelry. I feel like honed my skills in doing production stuff, but it was also kind of like soul crushing because it's it's all the skill of making jewelry, but like nothing that I like love about making jewelry. There was no no power in any of the pieces. Nothing felt special when you get a bag of supplies and they're like, all right, make 20 of the same thing and you have 200 minutes to do all of it. It ceases to like mean something. After I like moved out of that and moved to LA, I started working for this other artist, Holly Wales, who does really great stuff and really values the artistry in pieces. And that was really helpful for me to just kind of remember like, oh yeah, this is what jewelry is. This is what it's for. Yeah. Since then, I feel like I've taken that kind of mentality. It feels like your journey started with the love of jewelry from your grandmother's jewelry box was it and you honed your skills through kind of the mass production and that was completely against your values but taught you some shit that you now use right fantastic so i love that it's all coming together and is now in heebie-jeebies that's the brand isn't it can you tell me a bit more about that i tried to start it right after i graduated it's just kind of like always been a thing maybe six years ago or so. But at the time, it was just, it was a completely different aesthetic. I didn't know what I was doing yet, I think. It's been so cool to just watch it grow and evolve from that. started as this little Etsy store with kind of a goth sort of motif because I was very sad at the time. I feel like I didn't have like a very specific aesthetic at that point. You know, you're like early 20s, still figuring yourself out. But like as I've grown as a person and like really like understood what fuels me and what what I'm interested in, the jewelry has evolved from there. And it, the more you know yourself, the more it comes through in your art and like the better. I just like the connection of discovering self and like creating art. Yeah, fantastic. I read that um, 
Your house used to shake with the Quantico base explosions or something. How does that come to bear in your life? So I grew up in Virginia. Basically, everyone around me was government contractors, either worked for the government or was former military or whatever. We lived right outside of Quantico, the huge marine base, and our house would shake when they would test. When I was a kid, I would walk to the back of my neighborhood, smoke weed in the woods. If you walk too far in the woods, there's this fence that says danger electricity, this electrified fence around Quantico. It's very spooky. I've just always been kind of an anarchist. And I think that being around all of the military stuff and like just being so inundated with that my whole life and seeing all of the propaganda firsthand kind of just instilled an inherent distrust in authority and the government as a kid, which I still carry and still carry probably even more than I did then now. Well, definitely even more after the past year. Thank you. And what about if there's a message you'd like to share with the world, what might it be? I think I would say just do whatever you can to be exactly who you are. And if anyone else doesn't accept that, they don't matter to you because they don't know you and they don't deserve to know you. You deserve to know you. And that's more important than anything else. Fantastic. Thank you. How about uh, if there's anyone you'd like to design for? Who would you love to design for? I am obsessed with Amanda Lepore. I would really, really love to design something for Amanda Lepore. It's the dream. (laughs) Fantastic. Great. Well, look, uh, thank you so much, Johnny, you squirrel-saving, heavyweight jewellery-making star. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Look forward to seeing more. Um, Can you tell us where people can find your stuff? It's been great talking to you too. You can find my stuff at uh, heebiejeebiesjewelry.com or uh, heebiejeebiesjewelry on Instagram. Fantastic. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the RebChat Inside Story series. We hope you enjoyed it. To feature your inside story, contact us at www rebcatcreations.com or follow us on Instagram at rebcatcreations.com